the world of Islam, culture, religion, and politics. Thank you for joining me. This is Amin Tais. In the last episode, we took a brief look at the rule of Uthman, the third Muslim ruler or caliph after Muhammad's passing. You might recall that Uthman's life ended in tragedy as he was assassinated in Medina by rebels coming from Egypt. In the ensuing chaos, Ali ibn Abi Talib, the cousin and son-in-law of Muhammad, is given allegiance to, and thus is nominated new caliph. You might also recall that Ali, who seems to have been a favorite of a segment of the community for the position of caliph from an early period, uh, was bypassed three times. Now Ali finally gets his chance at leadership. But unfortunately for him, the circumstances of this transition were far from ideal. Opposition to Ali grew from a variety of corners as time went by. Accused by some to be sympathetic to, if not implicated in, the events that led to Uthman's assassination, and accused by others of protecting Uthman's killers, Ali would find himself quickly involved in major political and military conflicts. One front that stood against Ali was that led by Aisha, widow of Muhammad and daughter of the first caliph Abu Bakr. Aisha already had a difficult personal history with Ali. A number of reports claim that during Muhammad's lifetime, Aisha was at one point the victim of rumors of adultery and that Ali uh, was harsh on her, even insisting that Muhammad must divorce her because of the rumors. Sunni traditions and even Shi'ite traditions also claim that Muhammad cleared Aisha of any misconduct. Verse 11 of chapter 24, this is Surat An-Nur, uh, verse 11, has traditionally been interpreted to refer to this incident, although it is certainly not explicit. It is not clear how much, if at all, such a personal history with Ali affected Aisha in this later period. What seems clear, however, is that Aisha led a political campaign against Ali in Mecca and then headed to Basra in Iraq uh, alongside two other major figures of the early community by the names of Talha ibn Ubaidullah and Zubair ibn al-Awwam. Both died in 656. Their aim was the gathering of support against Ali. This was problematic for Ali, 
who was facing the possibility of losing a number of other parts of the empire. As a result, Ali decided to lead an army to face the followers of Aisha, Talha, and Zubair. The two groups would face up in a battle that Muslim memory remembers as the Battle of the Camel, Hadithath al-Jamal, because of Aisha's involvement in the event from the top of her camel. The confrontation in 656 would end with the victory of Ali. Both Talha and Zubair were killed and Aisha was sent back to Medina to stay under house arrest. But the bigger challenge to Ali will come from another corner. In the last episode, I explained that one of the grievances against Uthman was his favoring of members of his Umayyad clan. From this Umayyad clan, Uthman had chosen his regional governors. When Ali ascended to leadership, he attempted to replace the governors, but this was not an easy task. The governor of Syria, Muawiyah ibn Abi Sufyan, refused to step down, and furthermore called upon Ali to deliver to him the rebels who killed Uthman in order to administer his revenge on them. Eventually, the armies of Ali and Muawiyah would face off at Safin in 657. After a long and very bloody and costly battle, Ali's army seemed to have the upper hand. At that point, Muawiyah, under the advice of his commander and cousin Amr ibn al-As, told his fighters to carry copies of the Mus'haf, Quranic Codex, over their swords, calling upon the other side to let the teachings of the Book of God decide on which of the two camps were in the right. Probably aware of the thousands of casualties already suffered in the battle, and possibly confident in his case, Ali accepted an arbitration process, tahkim in Arabic, and he retreated. Unfortunately for Ali, a number of his Shia or supporters, partly driven by religious idealism, refused the compromise. We are told that the, their, their cry of dissent was La hukma illa lillah. Judgment is to God alone. For them, things were rather clear. Muawiyah and his army were the wrongdoers and they must be fought by divine mandate. Nothing had changed. If anything, Ali's acceptance of the arbitration of human beings instead of establishing the will of God has made Ali himself an apostate, a kafir. This group that would later be known as Al-Khawarij, the Kharijites, could be seen as the first religious sectarian group in Islam that would develop a basic but very strict theology. In this early stage, 
they split from Ali and would be later attacked and massacred by the army of Ali at the Battle of Nahrawan in 658. This event would do nothing to make Ali's life easier. Even worse, the arbitration process would favor Muawiyah's claim thanks to the shrewdness and some might say devious tactics of Muawiyah's representative Amr ibn al-As. Ali would refuse the result of the arbitration, but by then Muawiyah was emboldened to seek much more than revenge for Uthman and to put his eye on the caliph position. The drama of this period would start to lessen in intensity after a pivotal moment which was the assassination of Ali in 661 in Kufa by the sword of a Kharijite named Ibn Muljam who wanted to seek revenge for the massacre at Nahrawan. After a period of a few months in which uh, Ali's older son Al-Hassan would be given allegiance to by Ali's followers, things would settle for a little while with Muawiyah naming himself Caliph and Al-Hassan abdicating his position. Al-Hassan would eventually die in Medina, possibly poisoned by one of his wives on behalf of Muawiyah. With Muawiyah's success, a very difficult period in early Islamic history comes to an end. The end of Al-Fitna Al-Kubra, the first civil war. But this was also the start of a new episode in the political life of the community. This is the rise of the Umayyad dynasty. And that's the subject of another episode. If you appreciate this podcast, please like our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter. Assalamu alaikum.